You're listening to the voice of a very humbled man. This past week, my partner Maria and I sought to carve out a little bit of time for ourselves to disconnect, as it were, from technology, from all of the commitments we dedicate our time to, all the people that are asking from us and all the people we are trying to serve. And we went to the beach to camp among the dunes, hoping for a little bit of blue sky and golden sunshine <laughs> to nourish us. I say humbled because today I feel like Icarus. <laughs> I feel in that story of Daedalus and Icarus, I feel like that boy who flew too close to the sun and had his wings burned, his wax melted before plunging back to the earth. Now, luckily, I wasn't very high up and nothing is life-threatening. But that doesn't mean I don't feel a little bit burnt. I'm talking, of course, about sunburn. Normally, the Irish climate suits me perfectly. The gray clouds shelter me naturally from all of the harsh ultraviolet light. My white skin <laughs> is tender and soft, but something you forget when Ireland only has less than 100 days of sunshine a year. Rest assured, we got our full dose of sunshine, probably enough vitamin D to serve me for the next three, three months. And now uh, my body feels as if I had a group of pavers trying to lay hot tarmac all across my skin. It's not bumpy, as would be a second-degree burn, but it's just that nice, toasty lobster red. And what it's done for me is give me a chance to investigate deeper something that I touched upon in the last episode. These things that are objects of meditation. These things that allow us to transcend, is that the word? Or step out of ourselves through the body. <laughs> On this episode of A Quiet Voice with me, Colin, we're talking about three objects of focus that can be used for meditation. And I'm going to make a follow-up podcast in which you can practice these three objects of focus with me, if you choose. Sunburn is no stranger to me. We have danced a few times. I grew up in North Carolina and among the endless sand beaches, the pristine warm water that would wash along the beaches with those nice seashells in North Carolina, there would be me covered usually head to toe in white sunscreen probably lathered on by my parents, of equally Irish pale complexion. 
there's always been a history of sun cancer in the family, so it's been like a cardinal rule, practically one of our Ten Commandments, though it might be sacrilegious to say, to apply sunscreen before venturing outside. I remember one of my favorite things in North Carolina beaches was the um, Maritime Museum. I believe it was in the town of Beaufort in, North, in the south of North Carolina. And one of the things they had in this Maritime Museum were different relics of Blackbeard's ship, old fishing vessels that were used, you know, in the 18th century. The United States, of course, is not that old, so nothing is really that ancient. But it feels ancient at the time. It feels from a different world. And perhaps the thing that pulled me out of my sense of comfort when I was a young child was seeing a diving bell. It's probably one of the things that was in the back of the museum, if I can recall. Maybe a few people would just sort of gloss over it or not really know what it is, but it took up such a commanding space, this bell-shaped device with a dark complexion and a kind of an iron coating on the outside. It was a diving bell from, gosh, could be the 18th century, the 1800s, 1900s. I know that diving bells have been used for a long time, or so the internet tells me, but this one probably wasn't that old. Nonetheless, this rudimentary device could transport a man or woman, but probably a man because it's the 18th century, to depths far greater than they could ever dive with just a normal scuba, scuba tank. Protected by this thick four-inch or five-inch iron shell with a hole at the bottom. They could sit on rudimentary uh, kind of wooden benches and breathe air, hand-pumped, from a boat on the surface of the water through an umbilical cord all the way down, 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 connected to the top of this bell. Now, why anybody would want to get into this, I have no idea. You're essentially inside of a echo chamber, descending 100, 200, 300 feet into near-complete darkness. You can't see anything. There's not a window in this thing. It's just a test of the human endurance to say, I can do this and I will do this, you know? Now, nowadays in the 21st century, diving bells are used all the time and in an equally horrifying uh, display of, of, uh, of human courage. They're used to repair deep underwater connectors for oil pipelines or maybe the fastenings of a oil rig, deep sea, or... And these people must pressurize themselves before descending all the way to the bottom of the ocean. And then they can step out of the diving bell. Not something you could do in the original diving bell, I don't believe. 
step out and use the diving bell as almost a, a big bubble of air from which you're connected to a smaller tether in sheer darkness as you do whatever work you have to do at the bottom. Now the trick is, because it takes so long to descend these men into this space, they have to be pressurized even at the top surface of wherever they're operating, inside of the, inside of the vessel or, or on the oil rig or whatever. That means they have to live, eat, sleep, everything inside of a capsule, probably the size of the room that I'm sitting in right now, um, not very large, and they have to be pressurized there at effectively the same pressure that they would experience at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Protected again by a thick iron shield with maybe a tiny little window that they can see the outside world, but the outside world might as well be Mars because if they were depressurized at any moment, that's it, game over. So they live in these pressurized tanks for weeks at a time so that they can go down to these long depths and dive below to do whatever work they have to do and before being very slowly depressurized over a period of a few days and then enter back into the world again. I'm sure they get paid really well, but goodness, you can see why. The reason why I'm talking about diving bells is because at that time, the idea of descending into darkness to visit a place that is completely foreign fascinated me. You know, I, I've never been diving and I never really have, I don't really have the capacity to do that at this point. But the closest thing that I can ever experience without all of the four inch uh, steel plating is meditation. Meditation is a lot like using a diving bell. If you follow me, you can think of all of the emotions, all of the events, all of the chaos, you might even call it, or maybe even intrusions from your waking life as ocean currents, as storms, uh, moving this, you know, water that you're swimming in. And when I'm talking about an object of focus, as I'm going to talk about three in this podcast, I'm talking about something that can be your diving bell, something that is strong enough to endure all of the intrusions from your waking life, all the emotions, all of the turbulence, whatever it may be, the running children, the barking dogs, the jackhammer in the street, the job that you don't like, the relationship that you feel is falling apart or not giving you fulfillment, the fact that you're not doing any sort of creativity or something you're feeling as if you've missed out on. Sometimes we can't really grasp the ability to address those problems until we have the ability to dive deep. Dive deep and the funny thing about it is that when you're in this place of quiet, the answer comes in that familiar three-word three phrase, which you probably are sick of hearing, that answer comes from a quiet voice. It comes from a place that can only be heard when we are outside of ourselves, when we are stepped away from all of the 
attaching to these emotions, attaching to these thoughts. So the funny thing about it is that anybody is, who practices meditation as, um, as, as I did, uh, and I talked about in um, a previous episode, it can be easy to think that you can just slip into this state. I talked about it in episode 10, how I got honestly kind of extremely lucky with my first meditation experience, just sitting in a Shambhalan meditation center and meditating for an hour and what felt sort of like 10 or 15 minutes, sort of that experience of being pulled out from myself and separated. The object of meditation in that story is, is pain, <laughs> tension in my back. Right now, my object of meditation is the burning sensation, the tingling kind of cracking skin that is on a portion of my feet and arms and shoulders. But it can be whatever you want. The point is that you must pick an object of meditation and use it as your protection so that you can not be invaded by all of these currents, all of this turbulence. Of course, you're always connected to this umbilical cord. Call it your body. But this object of focus can bring you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you don't hear anything. Until it's just you and that object of focus. And, you know, you have this unspoken relationship with yourself that only really you as the individual meditator ever really know. Every single person's meditation is different. There is no wrong way to do it. I suppose you could say the only wrong way to do it is not by doing it. I can remember when I was settling in Ireland at the very beginning of my time here was not the most pleasant. I was coming off of a lot of grief. I was grieving the passing of my grandfather. I was grieving the end of a relationship that I had had uh, for, 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 for a number of years, six years. And I was settled up in Donegal in the dead of Ireland winter, uh, January and February, and all the darkest months. And I was certainly feeling the darkness then. But a book that had come to me along my travels, recommended to me, if I recall, by a ballet dancer who I was chatting with uh, at the back of a plane during my travels around Europe, he had told me about this book that allowed him to kind of find a focus. It's called a monk who's, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And in it, it's sort of a fictitious story about this man who works at a very successful lawyer who has a heart attack or nearly dies and then decides to, you know, readdress his his life. He ventures into the distant mountains of some sort of Himalayan adventure and brings him to a, a guru who kind of teaches him these things. It's just a story to nest in uh, these, uh, these meditation techniques. And one of these object of focus that he talks about is imagining a candle flame. Now, it might be difficult to imagine a candle flame, so they recommend that you sit with a candle flame. And you uh, you stare into this candle flame. Another one might be a, a rose, but we'll stick with a candle for now. Because, And you watch the 
candle, not so long until it burns into your eyes, but just long enough that when you close your eyes, you can start to still see that candle flame. And you use, in this case, the object of imagination to allow for this imagined form to take a form of its own, to dance like fire does, as if you were watching, even though you're not watching it. So that's the first one, the object of meditation, using a candle or using a flower to bring yourself into those deeper places. Now, the second one, uh, probably the most powerful for me, it's similar to the one that I discussed in the previous episode uh, that was brought to me by Alan Watts and a couple meditations and lectures by him, Ram Das talks about it, is the breath. And there are a couple different methods of following the breath. I believe that we followed some part of that in the um, meditations in episode eight and a meditation in episode four. Always coming back to the breath, perhaps because it's the easiest one for me. And uh, it's the one I recommend starting with, to be honest, though each one has its merit. You just probably heard me breathe, and that can be one of the objects of meditation within your own practice, to listen to the sound of your own breath. The breath coming in through your nose usually and out through your mouth is one way. You can feel through your nose, if you're breathing in through your nose and out through your nose, you can feel the cold air just touching, tickling the tip of your nose. Cold air coming in through your nostrils and warm air coming out. A simple phenomenon that we take for granted but is an exceptionally powerful point of focus. Now that, the last one I'll say before I move on, the last one is the movement of the diaphragm. The diaphragm, the lungs filling with air and then falling. Now the lungs take us into the third point of meditation, which is the body. But before we go into the third point, I want to note how in this second point, the breath object of focus. Focus is the word that I use, but focus doesn't really describe it because focus is what we use when we take a test. Focus is what we use when we are trying really hard not to, to mess something up. But that's not exactly what I am meaning to say. And a lot of people get this well, they, 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 they move down this path. I know I did for a long time thinking that thinking that the point of meditation is to not think. And all we have to do is focus this concentration, this brow curling, face tightening, mind, you know, uh, puzzle that we just have to solve <laughs> that will bring us to this point. This point doesn't really exist and not in this way can we find it. In fact, all we find is more tension, really, by thinking that we can't think. It's, it's a trick. It's 
the mind has many, many, many tricks to pull us into its spell. And it is a joy to follow those tricks. But when we are trying to cultivate is a sense of a waking presence. So that even when we're not meditating, we can be in a sense of calm. And we can be just to use the words from a previous episode, just finding a seat that is, you know, inside of ourselves, and from which we can view all of our circumstances without really attachment. We can let go, so to speak, of a lot of the emotions we feel. And when we do feel strong emotions like discomfort or self-doubt, like I spoke about in the, in the last episode, they become something that's three-dimensional rather than something that's inside of us, you know? Uh, it's something that we see or touch or taste, and it's like a, it's like a ride. We are on the self-doubt ride. And the only way we can recognize that we're on that ride, we are just a passenger in this roller coaster of emotion, is by cultivating this sense of, of presence. And in this sense of presence, it takes practice, but it is worthwhile, you you just start to disconnect a little bit from who you who you think you are and all the things you feel you are right to feel. There's nothing, there's a lot of people that attach with their emotions, and certainly I do, uh, when I'm when I'm not in a good place, or perhaps I'm too focused on on work or some story that another person is trying to tell me, or a story that I'm trying to tell myself, really. All of these object of focus are trying to bring you to a point where you cultivate the presence so that you aren't so attached to all of the things that pull you into the current. You know, it's as if when you're in this diving bell, the object of focus, they will crack, they will break, you will have leakages as you descend. And those leakages are all part of the part of the process. And it can be the most healing part of meditation is how you address those leakages. And when I say leakages, I mean the moment when a sound from another room trickles into your perspective or a thought like you have to go to the bathroom or geez, I'm hungry or oh, I forgot to take the trash out or any number of things. They just trickle in like cracks in your diving bell and you just have to very, very, very calmly and with a sense of kindness. That I found to be the most difficult thing sometimes. My, my beginning to meditate was connected with this, with a, with a lot of things I was trying to escape. And the thing that I was trying to escape that kept hitting me even when I had my eyes closed and was shut off from the world this sense that I couldn't do something or that I was faking myself or I wasn't good enough. And so that voice would trickle in and say, geez, you're never going to be able to meditate, you idiot, you know, or you, 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 you're such a poser, all these types of things that would just trickle in. And by practicing kindness to those, those cracks in our diving bell, we begin to practice kindness towards the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. It is as if when we are diving deeper and deeper and deeper, we start to find 
sea monsters and parts of our past and and all sorts of things start bubbling up to the surf, bu bu bubbling up into inside of our diving bell, and we start to feel like we're not going to make it. Uh, but if we can just continue to just sort of love, 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 love all of those things, and just with a very gentle push, seal that diving bell, return back to any object of focus, then we can begin to move ourselves out of many other things that are trying to be the object of focus. And that brings me to the third object of focus, and the one that I'm certainly trying to practice at, at the minute, all the time, is the body. Now, I'm, I'm lucky in my life I've never experienced great pain. I'm lucky. It's very, very fortunate. Right now, I might be sunburned, but I'm not trying to diminish the pain that many other people have to unburden themselves of. But sometimes by using pain and discomfort, any sensation in the body, like a tension, can be a wonderful object of focus, an object of meditation, another diving bell from which to descend. Now, sometimes it can be just a simple discomfort that when you breathe a little bit and you combine multiple of these focus, the breath, maybe in a little bit of imagination, you can sometimes heal these bodily discomforts. You breathe into a tension in your back and you imagine your tension being released with this white light. And as so, it is released just a little bit, you know, or even for a second, maybe a microsecond. This is the way that I'm looking at this sunburn that I have as sort of a gift, is to, you know, practice using it as an object to focus <laughs> so I can go deeper into myself. And indeed, what else is there to do? What else is there to do but, but see that the body, whether it's the breath or the mind creating an imagination or focusing on different parts of the body, the mind and the body are just your diving bell through the rest of your life. You know, as you live through the waking moment, it is your thick, you know, uh, four-inch iron shell. More vulnerable than we think, though, as I learned at the beach this past week. So, wherever you are, and it can be a different one or a combination of a few, you want to focus on one and maybe specialize in that one for a little bit. Whether it's the imagination, whether it's the breath, whether it's the body scan. to build that layer, a thicker and thicker and thicker layer. And then start to observe, I think, what's very fascinating is what does penetrate. You know, what does penetrate that thick shell is sometimes something that you want to see. Oh gosh, you know, sometimes an insight will come in and, and uh, you'll want to hold on to it. And, you know, that can be a worthwhile thing to hold on to for a while. The point is to just try and know that 
like anything, it takes time to be patient with yourself, kind to yourself. I know that one of the things that I discovered in all of the meditation that I've done is that voice of kindness beneath, deeper and deeper and deeper, beneath all the self-criticism, the self-loathing, the feelings of, of, of not being good enough, is that presence, that eternal voice that's just reminding me that everything's going to be okay, that I am good enough, that I am worthy, that there's a thing within me that is just fundamental and good and helps me unburdened and not start to see that the rest are just sort of things from the past, past traumas, you know, all sorts of things. So, so I certainly wish you that peace, that presence, that uh, invitation to start the journey of finding your object of focus. There's plenty of good apps. Sam Harris has a great app where he does a hundred day uh, meditation challenge. Um, recommend that one. Though uh, I find that um, Insight Timer, the app, can be also great as a free alternative. The point is to start somewhere. It can be anywhere. It can be whether it's using an app. Uh, don't get too tied into the scheduling or the you know gamification of things like, oh, how many days in a row can I meditate? You know, that's not really the point because sometimes that can create it into a a workout routine, and that's not really all that healthy. The point is just to find an object, stick to it however long you can, just especially when you need it the most, when that train ride becomes feeling really long or the screaming baby on the plane, you know? All these object of focuses are coming to you all the time. It's just to choose how you react to them, choose how you react to them. The next invitation the invitation I'm presenting to you right now is to join me for a short 15 to 20 minute meditation where we explore these three objects of focus. You can find that for free, of course. <laughs> you can find that attached to this podcast. Um, I'm only detaching it, separating it, because, you know, you might want to find a good place to be. Um, maybe not driving a car or something like this. That's your invitation. I'd love if you join me. Either way, if you listened this far, thank you very much for all of your time. I hope it was worthwhile. And I will talk to you next time, hopefully one, one, one skin layer less and, you know, uh, a little bit lighter, <laughs> a little bit less in pain, a new, with, with my new object of focus. That's all for now. Take care of yourself. Talk to you later. Goodbye for now.